one singular act that when you did it, you would have the greatest effect possible in that person's uh, improving and changing that person's state of mind, uh, increasing their productivity. If, if, what if I told you that you could do something to that person that would bring a level of stability to them that they can't get anywhere else, that, that, you, that they could increase their perseverance that you, what if I told you that it wouldn't, that it doesn't cost you anything, it doesn't exert you, and you can do it at any time, any place? Would you want to know what that is? I mean, most of us probably would, right? I hear something God says that you carried an instrument in with you today that has the potential, in very real terms, to do that in somebody's life. In, in significant, meaningful ways to accomplish that in somebody's life. And what that is, is going to be encapsulized in this word, encouragement. 200,000 uh, regular workers were, were surveyed just to see what their workplace was like, what affects them. And they were asked questions about what would increase their productivity, what would increase their joy at, at work, what would help them do better there, what, or what's the missing ingredient And far and away, the number one thing that showed up when people were asked what would have that effect on their life is, the word that they used was, being affirmed. Positive reinforcement. Clinical studies show that it doesn't matter what age group we're talking about, from the youngest of children to the oldest of adults, that all ages, their mental health, their, their state of mind, their level of contentment is affected more by one single thing than anything else, and that is receiving Positive reinforcement, encouragement. Now, we started a series, a brief one. Uh, we're going to finish it next week on the power of words. And we started last week by talking about how language was something that you were given as a human being by the maker, by Almighty God, that is a marker of you being an image bearer. It sets you apart from everything else in nature, all the animal kingdom, every, everybody else. That it is a distinctive, the, the use of language, words carry... As an amazing significance. And if somebody wants to live life under God, and if you're here today on any level, you're saying, yeah, you know, I'm interested in seeing. Whether your journey with God is relatively recent, whether it's been going on for a long time, you would say, if you would say on some level, no, I want to see how God designed me, and I kind of want to live that out. Then what we started to see is that life under God has got God saying some really significant things about the way we use our words and what effect it has when you use them. That the pow- there is a power behind those words. We saw this passage last week, Proverbs 18, 21, that the tongue has this potency to it. It has the power of life and death. I mean, that's a really extreme statement. That, that there are life words and there are death words that can be said. And those who love it will eat its fruit. They'll participate in it. We also saw that the use of words actually transcends every dimension you live in. There's a physical aspect of it. There's also, it touches on the emotional part of being human. It touches on the intellectual part. And it even reaches into the spiritual part of you. That words can be said that will have an effect on somebody's soul, on where their spirit is. So I want to invite you into the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. 
about two-thirds of the way through the uh, New Testament. If you've got a printed Bible, it's about where it is. Electronically, just punch in AGB and you should find it. Two passages in the book of Hebrews. I'm going to show you a bunch more. So when God talks about your words, uh, words can bring life and death. They don't have to. But there's a particular kind of words, use of words. There's a particular way that we can speak that carries this potency with it. Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to pick out a couple here and then flip to Hebrews chapter 10. This is being written to people who've decided to follow Christ. You sang it. If you said, I've decided I'm going to follow him where he leads, this is what he says to people who are Christ followers. Verse uh, 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Okay, that's important, right? Make sure that you stay on course. Make sure that you don't turn away from him. Make sure that, and and in verse 7, it talks about having a hardened heart. He's going to refer to that here. Verse 8, and this is what he says will have an effect on that. Verse 13, but encourage one another daily. As long as it's called today, do it now, do it regularly, do it today so that None of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. There is a direct correlation between words that can be said from one person to another and the state of a person's heart and soul and direction with life. I mean, it's a big deal. We'll come back to Hebrews 3 a little later, I think, but look at Hebrews 10. We use these phrases, this phrase a lot around here. In verse 23, it says, let's hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. All right, let's stay in touch with what we, we know is true that's going to keep us on a course of health. For he who promised is faithful. And then it talks about how that happens. Verse 24. Let's consider. Now that word consider means let's think carefully through this. Let's get intentional about this. Let's really kind of concentrate on something here. Let's plan it out. Let's consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The people around you, you've got the potential to do that to kind of do something that will keep them on track and that will spur them, that will motivate them, that will strengthen them. How's that happen? Verse 25. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. See that? And all the more as you see the day, the final day, the day where God culminates everything as you see it approaching. Encouragement is from a base word that's not bad in the English because the word encouragement comes from this root that actually means to inject courage into someone. It's like taking a syringe. Now imagine that there's somebody near you and you could do something that the effect of you, what something you say to them will have this effect that it's like you took a dose of courage for them to face whatever it is they're going through, endure through it, think carefully through it, to, to actually excel in it. And you take that syringe and you inject them with that. That courage stimulates them and drives them further. It is to inject or transfer confidence and hope and energy into them. There's a component part of it that the Bible has where the word gets used often to build up, to to strengthen something. Ephesians 4 puts it this way. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building up others according to their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. Proverbs 12.25 says, an anxious heart. You know anybody with one? An anxious heart weighs a man down. But a kind word 
It'll do something. It'll cheer him up. It just doesn't mean he'll get patted on the back. It means it'll inject something that gives him a different perspective on what's happening in his life. It will ignite something. It'll empower that. And you carry the instrument, the first and primary instrument that accomplishes that. You were given it by God because you were made in his image. Your words are a dispensing agent. Your words can be the syringe. God has this repeated call then to those who want to follow him. I'm in. I'm I'm, I'm a follower of him. We as a group form a body of people. And he says, okay, you guys, here is what your assignment is. Intentionally, consciously learn and practice the dispensing of this injection of courage verbally. This is what 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you're already doing. Romans 14.19 says, So then, let us aim for harmony in the church, and let's try this. Let's try to build each other up. Romans 15.2 says, Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to do this. As a result of being with you and hearing from you, the effect it has on him is it builds him up. He's injected with courage. There are two kinds of types of encouragement that the Bible seems to describe. We could take a long time to dissect these. I'm just going to summarize them for you. There are words of encouragement that do, one type is, they are true, positive, appropriate, and genuine statements about God, about his involvement, about his plan, and about his presence in a situation. So there is the kind of injection of courage that happens when you invoke God and you say, I'm going to speak about how, how God is present in this what he's done before, how he's involved in it, and what his plan is in a way that's positive and true, appropriate and genuine. The second kind of encouragement, that's kind of of like taking the vertical part of God into the situation. The second kind is more of a horizontal one. That's one person to another. And it's the same kinds of words. They are true, positive, appropriate, and genuine words about what you see in that person. That reflects God's character in their life and how that leads you to believe in them. Here is why this element of life is so significant, why, why it's so potent and why it's so pivotal. Just as, as, as a picture, I borrowed this from somebody else. Everybody you know is carrying around a load. Life has a way of loading you down. Some of you walked in today and you feel very, very loaded down. Circumstances of life, failures of life, criticism. And a lot of that load comes from the responsibilities you bear. But the load is added to by people's words. And people are like carrying a backpack around. And every time they are in a situation where somebody speaks negatively, reflects negatively about them, Every time you're in a place where you're insulted, every time you're in a place where you're not respected, every time you're in a place that, does, that, that diminishes somebody, it is like a, another piece of load gets loaded to the backpack. Every criticism that comes in that's not constructive, every time that you're an insult, every time somebody lets you know something that... Or when you're driving on the road, if somebody yells at you that you don't even know, you, it, you could say it doesn't bother me but we talked about last week, sticks and stones break bones. Words are heavier. Words can crush a spirit. And you hear it again, and something else comes and puts it in. 
Every time somebody has added to you, everybody you walked, you walked in today is carrying around, figuratively, a weight. When people communicate with them, there is a spiritual, emotional, intellectual effect that their words can have. Either the words could have a neutral effect on their weight, but perhaps those words can have the effect of saying, hey, open up your pouch. Let me add to it. Let me put something else in. Carry that around with you. Here's what God says. He says, you have the capacity, especially those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ and have the, whole, the Spirit of God in, involved in their life, you have the capacity to say something to somebody that when you do, you either can add a load to it and you can, and you can make their weight heavier or you can have the effect of saying, let me reach into your bag, and my word is going to have the effect of taking one of those out. It's going to lighten that load just a little bit. How does that happen? I'll tell you why it's so important. Studies say that 80% of the thoughts that you walk around with, 80% of the th- thoughts that the average person walks around with are called negative thoughts. 80%. child psychologists say that if we don't want to ruin our children which we're all doing for every one criticism one even constructive criticism every correction I think the word they use is correction for every correction a child hears from his parents in order for that to be matched and balanced they need to hear five statements of affirmation because the correction it penetrates so deeply And God says, the very thing that causes the weight are the things that can remove the weight, that can counteract it. The right words energize us. So the Bible talks about words that are about God. It talks about what the scriptures are there for. And it says, look at what God did. Let's let's go back. This is why you need to be in the word of God regularly. It's not a requirement to be in good standing. But there's something about God when he speaks to us about what he's done that has an effect. And it says in Romans 15, 4, that such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. Here's what they do. They give us hope. They give us encouragement as we wait for God's promises. They invoke the, the fact that there is a God who, and it reflects in positive ways, his involvement in our situation. But there's also those kinds of words that, that you can say to another person and that energize them in, in, from their soul. Here's Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are a honeycomb. They're sweet to the soul and they're healing to the bones. You see that word healing? We're going to see that more in just a minute. So look again at Hebrews t- uh, t- chapter 10. When you speak the words of encouragement, it stimulates something. It energizes something from the inside out. It doesn't change the circumstances. Look, look again what it says in verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. And that word spur means to stimulate, to push forward in a positive way, to help somebody go in a place where they didn't think they could go. Spur them on toward what? Toward love. Toward living out the life that God made us to be. Toward good deeds. To, to staying on a track. Don't you get tired sometimes? I mean, look, come on. Don't you get weary of being faithful 
of being the responsible one. Some of you are the responsible person in your entire extended family. Everybody else is dropping the ball all the time, and when it, it's, a problem comes, it's, you, it's on you. You're the one to solve it. And i got to tell you, that gets so tiring. You're sitting around a bunch of people who are weary, who sometimes think they can't go any further. It is hard to be faithful. It is hard to be responsible. It is hard to love people when you don't get anything back. God says there are certain words that empower that so the person can go a little bit further. The Seattle Seahawks won the NFL championship last week. There you go. They have something that every NFL team calls, but they, and they call it the 12th man. Big flag flying from the needle in Seattle. 12th man. 12th man on the field. They say that it is almost as much a player and that the fact that they're, their fans are so loud and so supportive that it takes them to another level. They played that game in the stadium where my team plays its home games. It is the closest to the Super Bowl I think I'm ever going to get. <laughs> and I noticed something. We're talking about this. I noticed something from the first play of the game watching the Super Bowl last week. From the first play when Seattle's on defense, the crowd noise was something like I've never heard in that stadium. I said, when my team plays, people don't cheer like this. Snap goes over somebody's head, and it's the 12th man who has a part, a contribution to that. Do you know that the home team in, in sports playoff games ha- wins at a clip of 0. .548, 548 winning percentage? Everywhere else on the neutral field, it's, it's even... 50%. Just having somebody who is supporting does something to the play. You go, what does it matter? These are professional athletes. They would do the same thing every time. It has an effect. It's the reason why some of us whose kids are in sports, uh, cross country, we stand across country watching, watching people run by, and we're running from one place. You know, they, we cheer them as they go off, and then we spent $6 to do this. We stand in a field. And, and cheer, and they run by, and they're off, and then we go to another place, and we run over there, and then we cheer as they go by, and then we run to another place and try to catch them for like three seconds. And then we all gather at the finish line, or close to the finish line, maybe 100 yards away from the finish line. And there's a consistent thing that gets done by parents and people in support of people that are coming around the final turn, and they're coming in, and they're going to go toward the end. Parents will stand there and they will shout to their kids and they will say, you are doing great. Kick it, kick it, kick it. Catch that person, catch that person. You can catch him, you can go. And we're all, you're not catching my kid. You can't say, and we're all cheering like this. You know what I never hear? Never hear at the finish line. I never hear a parent look, come to their kid and, and as their kid's coming around, go, wow, you look tired. Oh, you are so far behind. You might as well give up. This is embarrassing. It may be true, but we don't say it. It has been a proven fact that sports fans who say they have the right to boo their team if they're bad. I paid my money. I'm sitting in the stands. I have the right to boo. Some of us are from places where they boo a little more than others when that happens. (laughs) Booing never, ever produces a better effect because somebody feels motivated by the shame of their failure than if somebody decides to cheer. 
Studies are done to prove it. And God says, now you've got another dimension to add to this. You have a capacity to do something, to inject courage. You're, you, have some, you can say a, a mix of words that will actually energize not just the performance on a field, from the inside out of another human being, you can actually touch their soul. The core of the person from which all their motivation comes and their stamina comes. You can actually elevate that with something you say. It has that effect. And it softens our hearts too. Could you look back at Hebrews 3? Did you see that? There's a softening effect on the soul of a person that keeps them tender toward what God is doing. Look, some of you walked in today. I just know this. And your heart is pretty hard right now. Circumstances have hardened it. Sin has hardened it. You've drifted away. Life has a a tendency to harden a person's heart, to make them unteachable and rigid, to, to keep people at a distance, to be cynical. God says His Spirit has a way of softening a person's heart to draw close, that there's a tenderness a person can experience. There's a lot of things that can do that. But what he says here, when he invokes, when he says, don't let your heart get hard, the number one thing he says to do to help that not happen is he says, you need to do that with each other. You need to encourage one another. Look at Hebrews 3. Again, verse 7 says, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. It's invoking the time of Israel's past. And then he brings it to home where they're living right now in verse 12. And he says, make sure that that doesn't happen with you. A sinful, unbelieving heart. But encourage one another daily as, it, as, as, as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened. Then he says in verse 14, this is what happens. We, we will come to share uh, in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. This has a huge bearing on people. It is easy to fixate on the negative, on that which disillusions you, on the disappointments. But encouragement points to the payoff. It points to the hope. William Arthur Ward, who is an American author who's prolific in in interesting quotes, said, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me, I may not forgive you encourage me and i will never forget you who do you know in your life whose heart is weary or hardened right now i mean i'm not i'm not being rhetorical who do you know whose heart is weary right now or hardening or hardened right now you may be feel powerless to do anything about it but god says you're not healing happens to the bones and here's another word that mentions that same word. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise, it brings healing to a heart. Proverbs 15, 4, The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Okay. Have I convinced you that God says you've got the potential to do this? Or if I haven't, just act like you do. Because now, now we need to talk turkey. We need to say, okay, so how's this happen? Because you just saw it depicted what often happens on stage. Words that are just words. Words that don't have any, anything to them that do anything. Words that, 
so, so what, what constitutes the spiritually energized injection of courage? What are the things that are true of it? I'm going to give you some words to describe that, some passages that, that do it too. And this, I'm going to give you an assignment when we're done today to use the instrument, to see how it goes, put it into practice. So the things that, that make your words, words that are charged with encouragement, involve these. First of all, they are supportive words. It means they're positive, they are affirming, they are complementary. Even in the midst of seeing weakness and failure. This, the Apostle Paul was amazing at this. We did a whole series on 2 Corinthians, and the Corinthians were completely messed up people. I mean, they kept making mistake after mistake after mistake. And by the end of 2 Corinthians, Paul talks to them and goes, look, you guys need to check to see if you're even in the faith. I'm not even sure about that. But when he first starts with them, he says words that are supportive. Look at both 1 Corinthians 1, 2 Corinthians 1. He will say how, how grateful he is. He, he will say how, how much he believes in them. Because there is always something worth affirming in somebody else. When your children are at their worst, there is something you can still affirm in them. A lot of us stop here and we go, we're uncomfortable complimenting people. You know why? Because they're too full of ego already. Know anybody like that? Yeah, they're good and they know it. I'm not going to tell them, well done. I'm just going to inflate their ego if I do that. The Bible says you don't withhold it if it's deserved. In fact, Proverbs puts it this way. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to act. Proverbs 31 woman, who is this amazing picture of a godly woman, is, is shown as, as, as somebody who does all this amazing stuff. And it says about her right at the end of Proverbs, it says, charm is deceitful, beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord, well, that person is to be praised. And then look what it says to do. So give her the reward she's earned. Let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Let verbal affirmation happen. Forget, leave it to God to decide whether it will inflate the person's ego or not. When you see something worth affirming, you speak words that are supportive. Here's the next word. And this is where we're going to see what we saw, start to see what we saw in the drama depicted. Words that are substantive. And that means they're not empty. They are appropriate, which means that they're attached to something that is felt and seen about the situation right now. I had... I, I knew a guy who I worked with at one time, and he would walk around, and he, he felt like he was encouraging people, and he had the same phrase he would say all, all the time. He'd walk by, he'd see somebody, and say, hey, thanks for your life. And I'd, I, oh, yeah, sure. It, it had no substance to it. I, thanks, what do you mean? Thanks for my life? Well, I'm sure if he asked, he might have said, but you'll see how later that could be contrasted. They, they, it, the words need to be, they need to be positive, but they need to be attached to something that's going on. Proverbs 15 says this, everyone enjoys a fitting reply or an apt reply. It's wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. That doesn't mean you get all the syllables correct. It doesn't mean you're finding the perfect thing to say. It means it's appropriate to the situation. There's substance behind it. This is where we see the difference between this and cliches. That are, that might, they might be true, 
the statement might be true. It might be accurate. But if it's unattached to the specific time and place, even if it's true, it doesn't have an effect. I've had people, you have too, who say, who, who say things about God that are absolutely true. Well, you know, God is good. Yes, He is. All the time. God is good all the time. Well, you know, all things work together for good to those who love God. Yep, it's in Scripture. I believe it. And it bounces right off me a lot. Now, some of that might have to do with my heart. But some of it has to do with, is it coming from a place of substance? How does that apply to, to where we're living right now? If, if it doesn't, then you're Stuart Smalley. Oh, okay, see, some of you, yeah. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. You're welcome from that generation. Saturday Night Live. Ah, those days. Proverbs 25, 20 says, Singing cheerful songs to a person whose heart is heavy, it's as bad as stealing someone's jacket in cold weather. Can you relate? (laughs) Or rubbing salt in a wound. Let the words be substantive, not empty, appropriate, attached to something. And then along with that, let them be words that are sincere, meaning genuine, meaning that you actually mean it. That it comes from your heart. In Romans 12, you don't have to turn there. There's this whole thing about use your spiritual gifts to serve others. And it says, if your gift is encouraging, let him encourage. And the very next verse says, love, the way we do that, it must be sincere. Pure, no ulterior motives. It's not fake. It's not forced. It's not for your own good. You know what that's called? The Bible calls that flattery. You say something to build somebody else up just so that they'll get off your back. You're nice to your spouse just so they'll stop complaining. Flattery is... Well, here's what the Bible says in many, many things. Whoever flatters, this is Proverbs 29, 5. Whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. Proverbs 26, 28. Flattering mouth works ruin. Instead of that, let them be words that are sincere. See, here's what happens. You walk up and say, oh, here's a good, nice truth about God. You know what? Everything's going to work out. I'm sure everything's going to work out. Oh, you know, I just... I want you to know that you're appreciated. Oh, you know, God is good. Just trust Him. And you might as well take my backpack and throw another rock in it. Because now I'm responsible to not only carry what I'm doing, but now I have to act like I believe that's true too. Let me, this, this is one I really want you... I, I want you to hear all these, but this one, this one's important. Encouragement, spiritually charged words that actually build up are words that are specific. Here's what that means. They identify a particular personal observed quality or act in a person. This is, I love what Paul does with this. And again, I won't, I'll just tell you, look at the, uh, the epistles that Paul writes when he writes to the people in Rome, Thessalonica, uh, Corinth, uh, Colossae. Uh, almost all of his, he does this. When he starts out to them, he says, I want to tell you, I praise God for you. Great. But then you know what he does? He says, here's what I'm praising him for. 
And he will mention specific things that they have done. You took up a collection and you sent it for one group. I have heard about how you were faithful in a particular situation. I, under, I saw how you corrected somebody who was in need. He, he, he lasered in a specific thing that was true of them and said, I noticed, I saw it. It reflected something that's good, something that's, that reflects the character of God in your life. He caught them doing something right and he mentioned it. I saw you do this. You said these words to me. You did this particular act to me. There's this weird phenomenon of playing softball, you know, just playing softball my whole life. And I, I would say to my wife, after the game, the guys are going to go out. We're all going to get a Coke or something. We're going to sit around. And she goes, what do you do? We say, well, we talk about the game. What do you talk about? Well, we just talk about the game, we, how it went. Well, what do you, she, she didn't quite, she doesn't get this. Did you all just play the game? Yeah, I know, we all played the game. So everybody who was there played in the game, that they, and, they, and they're going to go to the game they just played, and then they're going to go talk about it? What do you say? And I say, you know what happened? We sit around, we talk about good plays. And here's what everybody does. They're, you're waiting and hoping somebody mentions yours. And you'll say things that you saw, oh, man, that play, oh, that was great. And somebody, yeah, and then they'll turn around and do it. And when everybody does that, you walk out and you just, you want to play again. My wife says, you, you, men are idiots. <laughs> but there is a craving you've got in your soul to have something that you do right noticed. To have it affirmed, to have it reinforced. And most of us assume that other people already know it and they don't need to hear it. Can I tell you? There's somebody in your world who needs to hear it. And it's different when it's specific. Because you can say to somebody around you, I want to tell you I appreciate you. Thanks for your life. But if you say to them, I saw, you impacted me when you said this phrase. I saw what you did on that morning with that person. I noticed how you you sacrifice yourself. I noticed how you love somebody. I want you to know that I saw God come out of you in that particular way. Can we try it? All right, I want you, if did you come with somebody, I'm going to make you work. Ready? Okay. You can hate me. It's tough. You're going to do I'm just going to, you know. All right. If you came with somebody or somebody's near you that you know, I want you to turn to each other. And I just wanted you to use some, qual- just pick some quality, just some adjective to say, you know what? Here's an adjective I think of when I think of you. All right, go. What's an adjective? One word, an adjective. All right, if no one's sitting by you, just say an adjective yourself, you know? Did you get the adjective? Okay, stop. Now, that felt, might, might felt nice, right? Some of you could not think of an adjective. You're not always an imbecile. Um, no, I don't, you know, I'm trying to think of, okay, but you used an adjective and some of you use, some, some of you, when you use where you go, you're nice. Okay. You're nice. You're nice. You're fun. All right. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the same person. And before you do, I want you to think of something that they said or did in the last week that you say when they did that, that was a really neat thing that they did or said. Now, see, you have to think a little more, don't you? Let us consider how to do this. 
what or an environment where you saw them shine and you say i you shine you were shining in this particular setting at this particular time you got it yet okay go turn to them and tell them where it was or what they said or what you saw them do Five seconds. Do it with each other. Both people talk. Now, here's what I guess among the things that happened just now is several things might have happened. One is some of you heard something said that you you don't hardly remember. You you don't even remember doing it or saying that. Some of you heard something said or uh, you that you would say, I didn't think, I didn't even think about that or I didn't know you even knew that. Some of you heard or said something about you that you would say, wow, it's nice to know that you noticed. But I'm also going to guess this, that you compare those two exchanges that you just did. The second one affected you more deeply than the first one. God does this with us. All the examples of Jesus, when he talks about faithful people, he says, look, I'm going to tell you what you did. Oh, I, they know what they did. You, yeah, but you took the investment. You didn't bury it. You took, you took it and you invested it for me. And you, look what you did. Five times, ten times return, came back. Come and enjoy the, the presence of your master. That's what Jesus does. He encourages and it, t- it touches the heart. We have the capacity to do that with other people around us. It's just a matter of of taking the initiative to do so. And look at, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 10, just one more time, look at this. I have one more word to tell you and then we're going to send you out to live this. Here, verse 25. In the context of this encouraging thing, he says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But in that context, let us encourage one another. Here's the last word. Words that encourage are sustained words. They are repetitive. It becomes habitual to people. They're they're repeated regularly so that if you are going to become somebody who dispenses courage into someone, here's the thought, that every setting you're in, you can train yourself to think, I am not leaving this setting before I inject courage into somebody, before I say something that those five words are true of, in their life, every cell group I, meeting I go to, I'm going to go in there and, and before I leave, I'm going to dispense some words to somebody. Every time I'm in a work environment, I'm going to do that. Every, every email I send to somebody is going to have something in it that has that one of those elements in it. Every conversation. There's, this, there's a guy named Joseph of Cyprus. You may have never heard his name, but you probably have if you've been around the Bible. Joseph of Cyprus, he was a guy who, who the apostles knew and he worked with them. But look at what it says about him. That was his nickname, or his real name. His nickname was something else. It says Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas. Oh, you know, I've heard of Barnabas. First partner of Paul, right? They called him Barnabas. It was his nickname. Why? Because Barnabas actually means, it says, son of encouragement. That word son of encouragement means he did, it, he did it so often it was a family trait of him. That's what that phrase son of meant. You represent the family of people who do that. 
He did it so often, it was sustained in his life. I heard this one example. Somebody said, put five pennies in your right pocket when you go out in the morning. If you go to work, you go to school, put five pennies in your your right pocket if you have a pocket. And every time that you're in an environment where you can say somebody, you catch somebody doing something right, and you say something to them that is a positive, apt uh, encouragement to them, you take one penny out and you switch it from your right pocket to your left pocket. And make it your goal, by the time you get done with your work or school or wherever you are, that you've shifted all five pennies in one day. And then, when you go home, shift them from your left pocket to your right pocket. Eventually, you won't need the pennies. Because it becomes sustained, it becomes habitual. Some of us, let's be honest, some of us, our typical way of interacting with people is we are rock loaders. People's backpacks get heavier as a result of being with us and hearing what we say. And some of us are rock lifters, rock removers. More than any other force in human relationships, God says, your words have the strongest capacity to have an effect on the load somebody else is carrying. You have, a, you have, you have 10 minutes when we walk out these doors before everybody clears out. And you have a week ahead of you, the time in cell group, where you, we can say this becomes a lesson that we learn and say that's nice, or we can be people who say, I've been given this instrument, and I will use it. Pray with me.